it is my real honor to introduce our next panel, His Eminence Cardinal Timothy Dolan, Catholic Bishop of New York. Really, really honored to have you with us. And then His Excellency Bishop Gregory Mansour. Um, Bishop Mansour is a Maronite Catholic Bishop in Brooklyn. And he is one of the directors of CAMECT, which is a coalition of various churches with a presence in the Middle East from all different uh, Christian faith traditions. And these are two of the strongest voices in the leadership of the American church against religious persecution, persecution particularly in Iraq and Syria. So I'm, I'm just so pleased to have them here, and um, we will certainly be enlightened by their discussion. And we are going to start with remarks from His Eminence. And Thank then um, remarks from. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the Thank, you. Thank you for your leadership. Um. Thanks. Well, everybody, I'm the one who's grateful to be here. I'm no expert. I look out at all of you with, uh, with intense admiration and appreciation for the uh, leadership that you're giving. You're the real experts here. You're the ones that have, uh, have given this a sense of urgency. Uh, Bishop Mansour and I are simply servants, and uh, we're at your service. And hear me say thank you for the, for the strong and courageous voice that so many of you have given. I cannot, uh, when, when you talk about one of the real matriarchs, even though she's too young for that term, in, in, in Nina. Nina is... Um, you, you can't say no to Nina. I think 30 years ago... 30 years ago, we began to work together when I was at the Nunsitcher and you were with the Puebla Institute. So, boy, oh boy, thank you for what you've done. You've been indefatigable, you've been courageous, and we're all in your debt, Nina. And I, so when she invites, you show up. And the chance, the chance to be with Bishop Mansour, I never pass that up because he's a, he's a brother, he's a friend, and he's a real inspiration. And in this area, folks, he's got his ear to the ground. Because as you well know, with our beloved Maronite Catholics, they, have, they still have such intimate connections with, the, with their homeland of Lebanon, and that, of course, is the center for a lot of what we're speaking about today. Last night, I had the honor of uh, speaking at the uh, Jewish Theological Seminary, and I had sp uh, spoken about the leadership of Pope St. John Paul II when it comes to Catholic-Jewish dialogue. And one of the things I mentioned was the fact that he made solidarity, solidarity a kitchen table word, that the whole world now has that in their vocabulary. Solidarity meaning that we come together in trust, uh, in prayer, in faith, uh, for, for very noble causes. And I can't think of a more noble one than the one that brings us together this morning. Now, Nina asked me just to speak for five or six minutes or so to set the table. And I thought, so these are, this is going to be kind of rat-a-tat-tat. But there's seven points I want to raise with you. Something tells me none of them are going to be new, but we can't say them enough, and perhaps for you to hear me say it will we'll again highlight it. Seven points. Number one, everybody, is a sense of urgency. When it comes to the persecution of Christians, we are talking about an extraordinarily urgent issue. We are talking about an international emergency. This is not some nice idea. This is not some chic hobby. We are talking about life and death. We are talking about the survival of beloved, ancient, loving 
Christian innocent communities, we're talking about something that cannot wait. So that's my first point, a sense of international emergency, a real sense of urgency when it comes to the protection of Christians who are literally under the knife. Number two would be the, uh, the demand to give this constantly accelerated and intensified publicity. We have got to become Johnny One Notes on this issue, all right? We're not going to let it go. We are going to talk about uh, Christians being beheaded, martyred, threatened, harassed, killed throughout the world. We are going to keep talking about it. We are not going to let it die. And that's why I particularly appreciate the people in this room who are already talking it, or talking, 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 and we're going to keep doing it. Number three, all right, in talking about it, we have got to be blunt. We have got to call it what it is. We're talking about fanatical, Islamic, Christianophobic terrorism, and we should not be afraid to tag it as such. We don't... <coughs> we don't... We don't need to get into euphemisms. We don't need to get into circumlocution. We know what this is about, and we have to tag it as such. Number four, we have got to affirm, we've got to affirm genuine Islamic uh, moderate voices. Not only to affirm them, but to rejoice when they are beginning to speak up, as I think they are in Egypt and Jordan. And we've got to urge them to accept the very blunt invitation of Pope Francis to begin to come forward. We especially have to convince the voices of genuine Islamic leadership here in the United States to speak up. You, I'm an American Catholic historian by trade, and traditionally for the last hundred years, because immigrants and religious refugees have settled in this country, they become advocates for the ones that they've left behind. And they can speak with particular eloquence about the virtues of religious freedom, religious amity, religious cooperation. So we've got to affirm those voices. We have to invite them and, and, and create a space for them, especially here in the United States. Now, I don't want to get off the track, but I know that's a particular challenge because sometimes it's very difficult to find them. All right? We mean it. I hope we do. We mean it when we say that the Islamic uh, fanatical uh, Christianophobic terrorists do not represent genuine Islam. But we also need to echo Pope Francis's invitation. We know it doesn't. Therefore, would those who do represent genuine Islam, would they begin to speak up to condemn in a full-throated way the atrocities that are being uh, 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 committed by those who claim to be uh, acting on behalf of, of Islam. So a sense of urgency, increased unremitting uh, pu publicity, a sense of bluntness in calling this what it is, an affirmation where it's called for. Number five, advocacy, advocacy, advocacy. To advocate with our government, who, by the way, I don't know if they've been as vocal and as pointed and as effective as they should be, to advocate with their governments, the governments of the people uh, of the nations where this persecution and this bloodshed is taking place, to advocate with their ambassadors and their uh, representatives. I tried to do that here in, in New York because we have that advantage of every one of these countries where atrocities are happening. Guess what? They have an ambassador 
residential here to the United Nations and to put them on the spot, to write them, to call them, to ask them to come in. They're not too receptive to those invitations, you probably are not surprised to know, but to advocate, advocate not only with our government, but also with the government of nations where this Christianophobia is taking place. Part of our advocacy, everybody, and that's why I'm glad in a way that, that there aren't too many callers in the room today, the advocacy is especially credible and cogent, folks, when it comes from our lay leaders. I, we, I meet with, with a prominent Catholic leaders in New York all the time, most of the time asking them for money, all right? And they will often speak to me about, oh, I just got back from China, or, oh, I just got back from uh, Saudi Arabia, or, oh, I just got back from a, a, a prominent a business deal in Egypt. Now, these are committed Catholics, and I will say to them, did you speak to the leaders there who are eager for your business and investment and who will do anything to get it? Do you speak to them about the persecution of Christians going on in their country? they look at me uh, as if they're hearing this for the first time. So to corral, to empower, to encourage the advocacy on behalf of our lay leaders, particularly lay corporate and business leaders, I think is a significant piece. Number six, to get interreligious about this. Uh, Pope Francis, actually I think it goes back to Pope Benedict, uses the word the ecumenism of the martyrs. That when it comes to bloodshed, we need a coalition of religious leaders. I am you need to hear me say, and I will never pass up the opportunity to say it, I am particularly indebted to Jewish leadership that has been in solidarity with us as Christians in condemning uh, Christianophobia. Uh, I, I meet with prominent Jewish leaders all the time on a number of issues. And they will look me in the eyes and they will say, why are you Catholics, why are you Christians so hoarse about this? Take it from us. It will not stop. It will not go away. Take it from us who learn the hard way. You must speak up constantly and strongly or it is only going to get worse. And they are at our side. The not long ago, uh, Ron Lauder came in to see me. Does that name ring a bell? He's president, is it the World Jewish Congress? Yeah. An extraordinarily effective leadership in anti-Semitism. And he came to see me and said, where are you guys? We need you. We need a world Catholic or a world Christian Congress. You need to do what we're doing. I am in admiration of what our, what our older brothers and sisters in the faith, the Jewish community, as Pope St. John Paul II called them, they put us to shame in their advocacy and protection of their uh, brother and sister Jews who are at risk. They are encouraging us to do the same. They are offering to stand shoulder to shoulder with us. Not long ago, I had the honor of speaking to the uh, Anti-Defamation League. And the line that got, got the greatest applause was what I said, Jews and Catholics in America are now closer than ever because somewhere, someplace at this very moment, either a Jew, a Christian, or a Catholic is in the crosshairs of a fanatical terrorist, and we have to stand together. And it brought them to their feet. So we need the interreligious action here. We should not forget our evangelical brothers who are suffering as well. We should not forget the Church of the Latter-day Saints. I met with leadership this morning. They stand ready to help us as well. So there's the sixth point, the interreligious. And finally, everybody, 
we just don't approach this, 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 this terribly painful topic of the persecution and martyrdom of Christians throughout the world, we don't approach this just from a sociological, a political, a historical, or a cultural point of view. We, all, we can never forget the optic of faith. You and I are men and women of faith. So never, ever do we underestimate the power of prayer. Never, ever do we stop mentioning the suffering, persecuted Christians throughout the world at every single Mass. Never, ever do we stop reaffirming our faith in the famous uh, statement by Tertullian that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the faith. And never, ever do we stop in giving all the aid we can to those who are suffering persecution. Uh, I'm talking about uh, groups that are represented here today, Aid to the Church in Need, Catholic Near East Welfare Association. There's an abundance of them, uh, wonderfully effective organizations that are there to bandage the wounds of Christians who are in trouble. What Bishop Mansour and I hear from our brother bishops, there's also, and this is my final point, a great uh, apostolate of the ears of listening. And we listen to their pleas. We listen to, their, to, to them beg us not to forget them. I listen to my brother, Ignatius Kaigama, who's the Archbishop of Jos in Nigeria, the center of, uh, of Boko Haram, who says, why is it that when, that, that when uh, uh, eight or nine people are martyred in Paris, that the world rises up, and I'm glad that they do. And when 300 Christians are kidnapped or butchered in Nigeria by Boko Haram, the world responds with a big ho-hum. He said, we can't let this happen. So to listen to the pleas, the cries, the anguish. Last week, I was able to host Archbishop Jambart, the Melkite Catholic bishop uh, in Syria, whose, whose words left me breathless, whose words left me with a combination of sadness, guilt, helplessness. Uh, he was a, an amazing confessor of the faith when he spoke with such passion about what his people are going through. And we can't let those people down. And to see, to see you come together this morning in a way soothes some of the a sense of, at times, discouragement, futility, and helplessness that I must confess to you I periodically feel, but we can never get into that. So thank you very much for your, your passion. All right. saying among bishops, we don't like standing ovations, because then you can't get to your wallets. So sit down. <laughs> I don't know if there's baskets here to pass out. <laughs> Eminence, thank you for the beautiful passion that you bring to it. And I just, I'd like to now put some of this in context for us, and then we'll open it up to questions and answers because, as his eminence says, there's more wisdom among you than there is among the two of us. So, first, I'd like to say, you know, Cardinal Dolan is, he's the, I'm not sure of his particular role, but he is the president of Kanewa, who is the Catholic Near East Welfare Association. We have Michael La Civita, who represents them. 
And we also have in our backyard, Aid to the Church in Need. And uh, Sarkis was, is, was their representative today. And I have the privilege of ser serving on the board of directors there. We also have Catholic Relief Services, which the Cardinal had, had uh, been the chairman of the board for several years before uh, uh, he passed the, the baton to someone else. So just to give you the, the context of his personal uh, engagement with some of the humanitarian elements of the Catholic faith for Christians of the Middle East. Also, I, I love to affirm the Cardinal's talk about Catholic Jewish efforts because unfortunately we learned the hard way uh, not to be in a deeper solidarity and it was the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, that encouraged us to go even, even farther in a deeper solidarity. And to add the moderate and what I believe is authentic voices of Islam, not the, the, the voices of Islam that we see in ISIS and Boko Haram and uh, Nostra and several of the other, some couple hundred different groups. Every, every week there's a new group on the, with even, even more strange strategies. Also to, to affirm, when the Cardinal was the president of the USCCB, he could have used his last speech to speak about a hundred different things. He focused on a laser beam on what's happening with the hatred towards Christians and other religious minorities throughout the world. And we, f we can focus on China, North Korea, uh, parts of the Arab world where you, where you can't even make the sign of the cross or wear a cross on your on, over your, in your neck. Or Nigeria, where 200 churches have been destroyed by Boko Haram. But we also now focus on ISIS. And I think it's, it's very wise that Nina and the Hudson Institute has been focusing on ISIS because it's like the head of the snake. The head of the snake, and the snake is the cardinal called it as it is, but at the head of the snake is a certain hatred for anybody who is not exactly like them. Now we're talking about moderate Muslims as well. There was a Muslim professor in Mosul who stood up against ISIS, and he said, this is wrong. They took him out and killed him. So, yes, we are, we are the, the aim of ISIS, but so are moderate Muslims. So are Yazidis. And what bothers me the most, and I think it also bothers his eminence also, is that these are people who are innocent. You look at the Nineveh Plain and you look at Raqqa and the northern Syria. These are all small villages of Christians that had nothing to do with politics. They don't even have their own armies. They don't even have police forces. It's the low-lying fruit of this ideology. It's low-lying. That's why, to me, it's not only low. These are innocent people. They had no right to have their homes, their churches, destroyed, and in some cases booby trapped so that they couldn't go back. And at each of the 47 institutions of Mosul, now they all have an ISIS, 47 Christian institutions of Mosul, now they all have an ISIS black flag and the cross is taken off them. These, have, these people had no horse in the race. 
And so the urgency that the Cardinal spoke, to, spoke about is, is essential. The Nineveh Plains, the northern Syria, now attempts on Lebanon. Uh, we, were, we met recently, the bishops of outside of Lebanon met with the general of the army, and he was telling us, thanks to American intelligence, they're able to tap all these sources of ISIS, whether it's uh, uh, telephone conversations or it's uh, internet or Facebook or however they, they move. They're very sophisticated. And what they found is that they've, they have a strategy also for Lebanon because they want to approach through Iraq, through Syria, to the Mediterranean Sea. So this is not, this is not an unsophisticated enemy. They're very well thought out. And they're very, very deeply committed to hatred for anybody who is not like them. I'd like to, that's the bad news. Let's talk a little bit about the good news. I think the Christian churches have been more one than they've ever been in my lifetime. Recently, we had the Maronite Patriarch, the Melkite Patriarch, joining the Syriac Catholic, the Syriac Orthodox, the Chaldean Patriarch in, uh, in Erbil. That was about a year ago, just to show solidarity. And the Syriac Catholic Patriarch, with tears in his eyes, said, I have my people here. The Chaldeans have their people here. The Assyrians have their people here. The Maronites and the Melkites don't have any churches here. They came out of solidarity. And recently in September, with the help of the Aid to uh, In Defense of Christians, a group in, that's just it's a grassroots group, group growing in Washington, D.C., that CAMACT is a part of it, and the USCCB works in, uh, in a variety of ways with them. They brought all of the Catholic patriarchs here in the most beautiful prayer service I have ever been, I've ever attended. There were, you know, Christianity was broken in several pieces, 431, 451, 1054, and the Protestant Reformation, and evangelical Christians. All of those Christians were represented at that prayer service, and we took prayers from their own tradition, and I had the privilege of speaking at that. What a beautiful way to pray and to advocate. To, uh, to bring this to some, some conclusion, can you imagine a group of men who noticed that Father Franz in Homs refused to leave Homs because it's been his home for 40-some years, and he was responsible for taking care of the elderly, the handicapped, the mentally and physically disturbed. They were all people that he was taking care of. And some man, because he hated the faith, he came in and said, we want to see you outside. He said, no, you can see me inside. He pulled out a gun and shot him and killed him right there. I bet that person never changed a diaper. I bet he never walked with a senior citizen. I bet he never helped anybody with mental illness. This is the people that we're dealing with. Now, are we trying to fuel the flames of hatred? No. But defiance? Yes. Hatred? No. Defiance? Yes. 
When Jesus said, turn the other cheek, he didn't mean we become a doormat. He said, if someone strikes you on the right, turn and offer him the left. Those are Jesus' words. And with that, if someone strikes you on the right, that means he's backhanding you. And he's treating you as as if you are less than him, inferior to him. And so Jesus said, put your face back into his face and say, now strike me as a man with your right hand. That's very different than being doormats. So there has to be a little bit of defiance. And I'd like to close with this, this beautiful story. Have you heard of Mariam of Karakosh? Some of you have. The little girl, 10-year-old girl. She was interviewed by a Lebanese television station. And the interviewer said, how long have you been here in this refugee camp? Four months. Don't you think God abandoned you? No. God saved us from Dash. Dash is the acronym for ISIS. God saved us from Dash. Then he said, well, don't you hate Dash? No, I don't hate them. He said, would you forgive them? She said, yes, I pray that God would forgive them. But what they did was wrong. (laughs) Ten-year-old girl. And then he asked her, what did you miss most from your little town? She said, going to school every day. She said, at school I had a friend whose name is Sandra. And we would play every day. And when one of us would hurt one another, we would always forgive each other. We loved each other. And then she said, I miss Sandra. He said, maybe she's listening today. You know, four months later, they found her in Lebanon. So they put her on the television screen, and she saw Mariam for the first time, and she started to cry. And Mariam said, don't cry, Sandra. Don't cry. That phrase has now gone viral through the Middle East. Look at one side. ISIS filled with hatred. And look at this other side. Filled with love and mercy and tenderness. But righteous indignation. Righteous indignation. And so, with that, and calling it as it is, not to, not, as the Cardinal said, not to brush all people who share the Islamic faith in the same way we ought not to. Because right now, every person on earth needs to rally in that solidarity. For their sake, moderate Islam, moderate Muslims, for their sake, for our sake. And to stand up, as we heard earlier, to say to to ISIS, this is wrong. We will stand in solidarity against you. We will fight you if we need to. We will do everything we can to stop you. And with God's grace... And with the solidarity of all people, we shall fulfill the dream of Mariam of Karakosh to go back to her hometown and go to school with Sandra. Thank you. Uh, so we. We open it up to questions or comments. Please keep comments brief. Questions? Yes. 
Hi. Uh, my name is Steve Crisell. Um I'm a retired lieutenant colonel from the U.S. Army Special Operations Command. And um, I'm also a child of a family of uh, Holocaust survivors. And I thank you for your com comments, Cardinal. Uh, I have just a couple of brief comments. I, I think what we're doing here is very, very important to work towards the solution. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm pretty in tune with world politics. That's my passion. I think we're lacking in two serious areas. One is I think the Christian denominations in the West need to really ramp up the building of churches and the winning of new hearts and minds in the populations that are at risk. I think that they are failing at that mission. You're right. Just my observation. You are right. Uh, sec secondly, there are people on the fighting line right now in the streets, Christians fighting. They need, we cannot legally send them weapons. I, they can be financially supported, however. I believe that we as uh, Jews and Christians are failing to financially support Christian militias wherever in the world they may be. This is not a video game. They are dying in the streets as we speak, having our coffee and cake right here, right now. They need weapons. They need the ability to defend themselves. And they're not going to, they're not going to, if we wait, sit and wait for the government to do that, there'll be nothing to do but pick up corpses when that time comes. So we need to dip into our pockets, find those militias, and get them the funds. I will be here after this meeting if you want to talk about that. Um, just a closing thing here. You know, in the Bible, and I f sadly, embarrassingly forget where this comes from. You could help me. That the statement about there being a time and a season for everything. I knew somebody would have that. It's my, my humble moment. So I say, we are now in a time and a season of war. We are in a season of war. Now, we need to step up to the plate and we need to, f to support or join either one, whatever to, to each according to their means, the fighters in the East and in Africa, wherever they may be, so that they can defend themselves. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Questions, yes. Mm -hmm. Nice and loud, please. Uh, I want to thank the Cardinal and you, Bishop, for speaking out so well. And I love the seven points that you mentioned, Cardinal. Very important. Um, I really believe that there needs to be a show of unity and uh, the publicity and a stern call. Many of the things you said, and I think there needs to be a rallying for some kind of a march. And it needs to be a march in Washington. And there are enough groups between parochial schools, uh, university groups, um, and the different denominations all coming together. That there should be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, if not more. There also, I believe, needs to be a program where you adopt a family. Um, if we could each adopt a family uh, of those who are refugees and reach out to them, 
Another thing is bracelets with the names of the family so that people walk around and identify personally with stories like the ones you mentioned. Uh, immigration reform, this is a select group of people, and I think everyone would agree they're under dire uh, threat and there should be something done. We shouldn't wait around like we did in World War II to hear about all of the people killed and then wonder 20 years later why we did nothing. Uh, next, uh, I think that there should be programs at universities right now because these are the most influential young people, and we should start with the Catholic universities. I'm at Fordham Law School, and I really believe that these issues are not being brought out enough so that the students understand what's at stake here and the moral leadership and the ethical leadership that needs to be brought to bear. Uh, there's also the Jackson Amendment was used many years ago by the Jewish community, and I think we need to attach something to trade bills so that we start to talk about what they're doing on an economic basis. Even more than getting people to just talk to people when they're there, let's make it like that Jackson Amendment. Um, and also, uh, we talked about the ISIS leadership. The leadership is a Ba'athi leadership. My family's from Iraq. I'm very familiar. The people that are leading <coughs> ISIS now are Ba'athis. Many of them, that's why they're so well-connected. It's very important we make that connection and the connection to the Ba'ath National Socialists, to the Nazis. I wanted your comments on these issues. And one last thing. I think you need to have messengers sent to each community that might be under assault, telling them what resources are out there if they have to flee. So they have a crisis management plan to deal with this unfortunate thing that's happening to so many of these long-established and innocent communities. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I, I would love to see a march on Washington, and I, I'd love to see Hudson evolve, and uh, I would love to give the, the other groups, Christian, Muslim, Jewish groups, to, to invest in something like that. But uh, and I, I think the, the other issues is about the press. Much more can be, I mean, we, we can... I mean, they can dig up all these things in the Catholic Church. God, God knows we were wrong, but, but our files are very easy. You can go into them very easy, but it takes a creative journalist to go deep into these things. If you go into some of the Arab societies and Islamic societies and, and look very careful at, at what you're saying, the Ba'ath leadership and, and the, who's funding ISIS, many of the leaders in, in, uh, in the Middle East are saying, be careful, you're, you're funding them in the West. Be careful. You don't, might not even know, not know it. So those kind of, that kind of creative journalism would be very, very helpful. Cardinal, do you have something? That you no, thanks. You did it well. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I looked over here only. Look. I want to thank you, too, for coming today and for your remarkable comments. I actually have a question. Mm -hmm. uh, Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm very encouraged that you're, you've met with your Christian counterparts and your Jewish counterparts. Have you been meeting with the moderate Muslim counterparts? And if yes, so, who? The, the United States Catholic Bishops has an ongoing dialogue in, in, the, in the East, in the Midwest, and in the West. A very active dialogue with Islamic leaders, a very healthy dialogue. Do you know more, more about it? Uh, well, you know... Um, Yes, that is going on. It's going on with the Holy See, the Vatican. It's going on here in the United States. You know they're tough to find, not because they're not there. I don't want to contradict myself. They are there, but they are scared. 
and they they suffer when they come forth. Uh, so that's why I that's why I so appreciated uh, Pope Francis, especially saying what he hopes to do is to create a zone where they will feel feel free to come forward and speak. If you looked upon the uh, if you look at uh, at some of the scorn being heaped upon that uh, that wonderful Islamic scholar in Egypt who uh, who at the, at the leading Islamic university spoke in condemnation of his Islamic atrocities if you see the threat he's under if you see the the peril that he's in from a human point of view it's understandable that some of them would be uh, would be uh, unwilling to speak that's the point that I meant and that anything we can do to encourage them to speak up that's why I'd prefer to speak here or that if we could find them here to speak up, um, the the uh, but it's tough even in our even in our ordinary ecumenical and interreligious dialogues that we have uh, on different groups, it's sometimes uh, very difficult to find an Islamic representative. They themselves are splintered. That's the other thing we all need to do is learn more about Islam. Right? We're somewhat ignorant about Islam. Uh, as they are obviously about Christianity, we don't understand those divisions. We don't understand those those different shades within the vast Islamic uh, community. So, boy, do do we ever have to engage them and and find some way for them to safely begin to condemn this? I got in a lot of trouble a couple months ago because, and I probably didn't express it well. I was always very proud of my brother bishops. I wasn't a bishop then because we're talking about 35, 40 years ago. In Ireland, whenever the IRA would commit an atrocity, the bishops of Ireland were quick to say they do not represent the Catholic Church. And what they have done is uh, antithetical to anything that is Catholic. Now, I got a lot of, in a lot of trouble <laughs> from my from my own Irish clans who said, how dare you compare the IRA to ISIS? I was comparing the bishops of Ireland to what I hope would be uh, an upsurge of the same voices among Islamic leadership that would do to ISIS uh, what the uh, bishops of Ireland did to IRA. In other words, unmask them and call it uh, call it what it is. That's a great challenge that we have, is it not? Uh, I think if, if, if we are very careful not to, be, not to come down to the level of ISIS, of hatred, let them live on their, that level of hatred. May God punish them just to teach them a lesson. And may God forgive them, as Mariam says. But as long as we are above that fray, it's not about hatred. It's about standing strong, defiantly against evil. And so I think as long as we can give that message, and every time I speak, I give that message because I studied Islam at UCLA. And so I've come to an appreciate. I live, there's two approaches. There's the one filled with hatred in which you, you condemn the person and the crime. And then there's the one that condemns the crime but honors the person. And I think if we strike that balance, we can. And that's the solidarity. You can't build solidarity on hatred you can only build solidarity with, with a love and a defiance to evil. Yes. Uh. Uh, thank you, Your Eminence, for coming and for your leadership here. 
Uh, you're one of the few people who, if you call a governor or a senator or even a president, your call will be returned. So I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of an insight into what the attitude is of our elected officials on this issue and why, why do they appear to be so silent? And if they're not silent, what are they doing behind the scenes that we're not hearing? Well, one of the reasons I think they're silent is because, unfortunately, we have been. <clears throat> they always pay attention to the squeaky wheel, correct? That's why I so admire and appreciate our Jewish brethren. Uh, they, they aren't silent, and they get attention, and I'm thrilled that they do. So one of the reasons they're silent is because that we are. Now, they do sense, they do sense uh, somewhat of a mustering of forces within the Christians, uh, within, uh, within the, uh, Christian, uh, the different Christian denominations in the United States. And that, of course, is why we have sessions like this today, to build that up and to solidify it, because they will, uh, they will listen. Um, they, seem, they seem, when I speak to them, they seem themselves to be, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, because I'd apply the same thing to, to many of us, they seem to be ignorant of the situation. I don't know if they realize it's that bad. I think they don't realize the precision of the target, namely to Christians. They think they kind of group all the atrocities that we hear about in, uh, in, in so many of these uh, suffering societies. They seem to group them all together. Uh, they don't realize that, no, uh, you, we're talking about a, well, a well-oiled, coordinated, a well-choreographed program of precise uh, hatred and persecution of Christians. This just isn't some, uh, you know, um, arbitrary hatred here. This is very precise. This is very focused. They need to learn that lesson, and, and one of the things I do is, is, is try to show them. I will, sh- I will share with them, I have a mailing list, where if I see a good article, if I see a good book, and thanks be to God, there are many that are coming out, I'll send it to them, and I will see, say, you need to see this. I would like to talk to you about this. Our, our, the, our brother bishops, especially in the Mideast and Africa, will are, yes, they're, they feel let down by us, the religious community in the United States. They really feel let down by the American government, uh, that, they, that, they, that they esteem as a light, uh, as... Yes, they believe that we, that we should be the source of, of justice and peace and equity and fairness. And we've been, we've been let down. The Archbishop Jean Bart, that, that uh, the aide to the church in need, brought in last week, he said, it would be so, he said, what's happening where he's at, where is he in Aleppo? Aleppo. In Aleppo, which is uh, not far from the Turkish border. Right. He said, the problem, the, the, he said, right now, things in Syria we, we seem to be settling down a bit. In fact, he spoke, he spoke so tenderly of his Islamic neighbors. He said, when, we, when our churches are burned, it's the, uh, it's the local mosque that will come and say, let us help you rebuild. He said, the problem is coming from roving bands from Turkey. And he said, it would be so easy for your government to say to the Turks, we will not put up with that. And... and um, <clears throat> And they will say to us, why does your government seem so set on making foreign aid and foreign investment contingent upon a nation's willingness to assure abortion 
or redefinition of marriage and not contingent upon the protection of religious minorities. They will say, we need to see the American government put the same teeth in their investment, in their, in their diplomacy, in their, uh, in their trade negotiations, in their political negotiations, as they do in, in some of these other issues. And I think they're right. I think they're right. I don't think, I'm just not talking about our, our government. I'm just not talking about our current government. I don't think we Americans get it. We, we bask rightly in the climate of amity and concord and interreligious cooperation that we have, especially, by the way, we New Yorkers, where you literally can't walk down the hall of the building you live without passing six other religions, all right? <laughs> Neighbors. Um, we, we find this shocking. We find this easy to ignore or easy to deny. So uh, part of it is the education. Uh, even our, I like the, the comment of our, our children, for instance, need not to learn about this in their history classes. They need to learn about it in their current event classes because it is going on now. So one of the things our brother bishops will say is, Please bring this to the attention of your people. Do they know this is going on? Does your government realize this? They will speak elo- eloquently about, guess what weapons ISIS uses? American weapons. Now, that's not because we give it to them. That's just because they've managed to get them because the region is so flooded with those weapons from the, all the different uh, excursions in which we have been involved. God forbid they would ever get a nuclear weapon, right? Uh, so th- this is uh, to bring this constantly to the attention of our government. Would Can you remember how effective uh, the uh, religious community was in the uh, presidency of Ronald Reagan when he went for negotiations with the, with the uh, prime minister of the, uh, of the Soviet Union? He had in his pocket a list of Christian and Jewish prisoners that were being held in, uh, in Russia, and any progress was contingent upon those people being released. <clears throat> we need that same kind of precise personal intervention by leadership in our government and leadership in business, leadership in business. The millions, if not billions of dollars that are being invested by committed Catholics in countries where there's outright uh, persecution of Christians. This is leverage that we have, and this is leverage that we need to untap. Young lady here, right in front. She's right in front. Thanks. I would think uh, you and other leaders like the president of the Mormon Church, for example, could embarrass our leaders into bringing this to the front and not just skirting around. You know, I mean, I think... A frontal attack like that might work, because uh-huh. people are just everyone's talking about it, but we need to to put a head on it. Yeah, I think we'd all agree that our leaders often do a good enough job of embarrassing themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we church leaders too, but we uh, that's right to 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 put them on the spot. So the gentleman who graciously, I, I sure don't. I think he may have uh, uh, exaggerated the clout that I have, but whenever I do have uh, the, the possibility of meeting with political leaders, as, as I would, I will never fail to bring it up. 
And I'll find them kind of interested. I'll find them asking for more data, which I do not fail to supply. Um, so I'm the, the one leader that is unfailingly speaking out, of course, is Pope Francis. And, and this, is, this is very effective. And the other thing we have to do, everybody, is not just criticize those who don't, but to support those who do. I'm thinking of, of heroes such as Congressman Wolf. Remember uh, in Virginia the magnificent work that he did. When people rise, I'm thinking of Jeff Fartenberry. I'm thinking of, you all know them better than I do, our political leaders that do have this uh, as a high priority to, to support them, to thank them, uh, to invite them to gatherings, to reaffirm them. That's very important because uh, their colleagues, when they see the increased attention and praise that is coming their way, they're going to want to get in on that and some of that honey, okay? So that's another way to do it. I think sometimes we make a mistake of, of being negative instead of affirming those who indeed are coming through. So, <clears throat> I think we only have a few more. Rather than take another question, can I ask you, Eminence, to talk a little bit about what you would like to see us doing going forward, this, this gathering, this... Well, can I say a couple things? First of all, usually when I come to gatherings like this, I leave very inspired, so that only prompts me to reaffirm the appreciation that I, ex uh, that I uh, express to all of you. One thing that does frustrate me, and put this in the right way, is that usually what I hear is your suggestions of what we need to do, we bishops. And we, we do need to do more, believe me. You must believe that you have more clout and credibility than we do. When Bishop Mansour, as he does, if he might be at the halls of Congress or if he might be at the White House, or myself, they sort of say, yeah, they're, they're in the business. They're obviously going to be talking this way. This is a self-serving agenda. When you say it, they sit up and take note. That, again, I, I credit to our Jewish colleagues. Yeah, you will see some rabbis in, the, uh, in leadership, of, uh, but Ron Lauder is not a rabbi. Abe Foxman is not a rabbi. All right? These are prominent, respected Jewish leaders who have the ear of politicians. They're not clergy. So while we can never shy away from our responsibility... I wonder if our job is more to encourage and, uh, and empower you to do it, because believe me, you've got a lot more effect. That's not just true, that's just not true in, uh, in this issue. I was chatting with Darla uh, uh, with one of our pet issues these days, our education investment tax credit that we're working hard in. Believe you me, the parents of our Catholic school kids have a lot more clout than me. So the days of fat, balding Irish bishops having a lot of clout... <laughs> Those are passing. The days of articulate, committed, prominent religious lay leaders, those are rising, especially in this area, because it's the lay people who are being butchered, all right? Uh, bishop David, the Coptic uh, bishop with whom I, I was with yesterday, I mean, you're talking about 18- and 19-year-old Egyptian boys, Coptics, who leave their home, to, to, to be able to raise some money and send it back home, who are beheaded. Uh, these aren't priests. These aren't seminarians. You bet they're in the crosshairs, too. But these are lay people who are being butchered. These are families. These are couples. These are households. 
and, and they need you. So that's, that's one thing. That's another thing that I would like to see come from this. Uh, but keep doing this. Thank God. Thank God we've got the Hudson Institute. Thank God we've got Ambassador Shea. Uh, to me, it's a scan. Do we not, uh, Nina, have a position in the American government for religious rights that has been unfilled for six months? Oh, okay, good. Okay, good. But that was scandalous, wasn't it? That was scandalous. Do we not need to constantly, as I do, when I know that Secretary of State Kerry is on the road somewhere, do I not need to write him and remind him, this must be on your agenda. You must bring this up. All right? And, and for him to hear that from, uh, and I find him very attentive to that. I don't know what success, if any, he's having, but at least he will write back and say thank you. Uh, thank you for bringing that to my attention. And yes, I will bring it up. I hope he does. I trust that he will. That, that it, when you all do it, uh, it, it has, I think, enhanced clout. And also, don't forget all the humanitarian ways that we can help. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the gentleman in the back talked about us Christians rebuilding churches. Well, you know, that, that's a good start. And also the humanitarian work of Aid to the Church in Need, Catholic Relief. One of the things we, uh, Bishop Mansour and I hear from our brother bishops, they're in a bit of a quandary. They don't want their people to leave, do they? I mean, you see, they've been there since the time of the apostles. They've been there since the time of the apostles. Bishop Jean Bart said uh, to, to me the other day, he said, you know, um, our first Christians in Aleppo uh, were converted on Pentecost Sunday. Mm -hmm. they were there in the square when Peter spoke they were baptized that day they go back that far see um, they don't and, and Bishop Jean Bart has said I will not leave I will die here and, but he's in a bind because in one way he wants to help get his people to safety on the other hand he doesn't want to lose the Christian presence um, we can't as Pope John Paul II used to say, we cannot allow the Mideast to become a museum, a Christian museum. It, it needs to be a thriving, religious, vibrant uh, community, which it has been for two millennia and is now at great risk. So, Nina? You give me inspiration. Thank you all. Thank you very much, Nina. My honor. Thank you. Thank you.